All right. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of Monetizing Your Mental Capital. I am super excited. Good friend, amazing guest, many time speaker, you know, published author, you know, SaaS owner, Chad Rubin. Thank you for joining us on this on this podcast. Grateful to have you invite me onto this podcast. So yeah, Chad and I have known each other for several years now. Our first foray into getting to know each other is he was actually at Skubana and he was looking to build a Zapier integration. And the guys over at uh, Zapier introduced us and they were like, you know, Chad, meet Will, we'll meet Chad. And then I was like, yeah, I was on a call with Chad Rubin and Brandon Checkets was like, how did you meet? Like, I didn't introduce, I didn't introduce you to Chad Rubin. Like Jeff Cohen said the same thing. They were like, how such a small world. So, you know, fast forward several years, he was in the middle of Skubana for a while. I was in the middle of data automation. I've now jumped into Seller Labs. I mean, here we are on this podcast and you're you're in the middle of something really cool. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing. Yeah, well, I've been in e-commerce for 20 years, as you, you've known me now for probably at least a decade of that. Mm-hmm. And started off as an e-commerce seller, right? Manufacturing vacuum filters, coffee filters, Prosper Shows, Cubana, sold those entities. And now I've started something called Prophecy. Prophecy is a dynamic repricer for private label brands using... AI and machine learning to maximize profit without sacrificing your bestseller rank on Amazon. So it's kind of like Uber surge pricing meets Amazon brands. Interesting. I like it. Okay. So as you, and we're going to come back to that. I want to go back to the very beginning and I love, so the, the most successful sellers that I know are all in non-sexy categories. So, you know, vacuum consumables, uh, you know, bags and and all things like that. That's what crucial crucial does, right? How did you get into that? Like what what was it that that broke you into that space? Well, my parents, I grew first of all, I grew up, my father and my mother owned a vacuum cleaner store. And they were always trying to scrape two pennies to get by, like finding pennies in the couch cushion, couldn't pay our rent, couldn't pay our mortgage on our house. And so I was like, I never want to be an entrepreneur if this is what an entrepreneur is like. And I never, certainly never want to be in the vacuum industry. So I went on to Wall Street. I was a first-generation college graduate. And I went on to Wall Street, and I was covering Amazon as a stock. And Amazon had just launched their marketplace business. And so they started allowing a certain amount of sellers to sell on the marketplace. And I said to my mom and dad, you guys have stock. You guys have inventory. Why don't you sell it on Amazon? And that's how the engine started moving. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I love, I mean, and from some aspects, you were like, if that's what it looks like to be an entrepreneur, I'm out. Like that is not, and I'm, I don't want to be in the vacuum industry. And, and, you know, fate had a way of pulling you back and, you know, you saw an opportunity and, and dove in. Sounds like. Yeah. You know, there's this great quote by Jordan Peterson that I love. It's problems are secret calls to adventure. And along this entire journey, right, it's all about identifying problems and that paves this path. Uh, and so the problem was like, hey, there was no vacuum bags being sold on Amazon, number one, when we first started. Then the next problem was, well, there's no private label, meaning like right now we're just a middleman. So why don't we just go direct to the consumer, very similar to like Bonobos at the time, Warby Parker at the time. And so it was just finding these problems and solving these problems over time 
that's led me to each iteration of each business, but also each business entity that we've created. Interesting. So as we kind of pick apart the process, our goal today is we as we consider monetizing mental capital, we're, we're trying to help the sellers understand a little bit more about what nuggets they have that they're not current, currently considering the monetization of, whether that's an ebook or creating a productized skill or starting a micro SaaS or going in and looking at some of those different pieces. When you began your journey and you looked at, you went to the Wall Street, you, you went to Wall Street, you were covering that stock. And that's what made you realize, wait a minute, there's an opportunity here. You know, you obviously had some knowledge. Did you work in the in the vacuum store back in the day? When I was, yeah, when I was growing up, I used to, my dad used to have me in there on the weekends. It's really where I learned work ethic and I learned the value of money. And so I used to work there growing up. So I had some idea of, yeah, you're right. You know what? I was actually raised at a very young age to be an entrepreneur, but I hadn't capitalized on that because of circumstance and seeing yeah what my father and my mother went through yeah well and beyond that the part that i want to pick apart here slash look at is you were exposed to stock levels inventory and buy low sell high like you you were and, and i mean buy low sell high as far as you can with vacuum cleaner parts right but but really you were exposed to this concept of commerce very early and so I, I think that's interesting that the seed, you know, really germinated when you saw the Amazon stuff and you were like, hey, that's that's knowledge I can monetize. And so your your knowledge monetization actually led you back into physical products. That's not we've done this podcast now, you know, several times and interviewed several people. And generally they go the opposite direction where they are taking knowledge and knowledge is their first step. Their, their first step is consulting. Like they step out and do some sort of consulting gig on the side. It's interesting that yours led you, you know, to go back to physical goods. Well, I think if you look at the path, first of all, the technology path really wasn't a, a path really. I mean, I think Amazon started really carving out the culture of startups and technology back in the day. And so there wasn't a path to technology at that time. And I didn't have the knowledge of Amazon specifically. I just identified uh, a good opportunity, a good problem. And I didn't let that problem go to waste to capitalize on it early on. And so I started my journey in product and then moved from product to Prosper as an example, to building a community, to building a software that was multi-channel like Stubana, to building Prophecy, which is what I'm working on today. Interesting. So, and I love that, you know, as you pushed into each level of that journey, you took the knowledge you had before. So in the physical products, you looked at that. And I remember the stories about you, you know, looking at, you know, oh man, I just wish there was a software that could do all of this. And I've heard you tell that story from the stage and in person and on calls with clients and just say, I was just, I was tired of not finding something that would solve my problem. And, and that seemed to be built by a seller for a seller. And so I, I just said, you know what? Whatever, I'm doing this. And, and I've even talked to people who were some of your initial investors and said, oh yeah, I was I was one of the guys that Chad you know, invited to join in this journey of Scubana. And so it, it's just interesting to see you take that nugget of knowledge and realize, man, this is a felt pain or a problem and I'm going to fix it. Right. And does it always start with the felt pain of the problem? What what would you say as far as, you know, the journey of monetizing knowledge? Yeah, no, I think it's stubbing your toe, having that oh crap moment 
So along this entire journey, I'm stepping my toe, right? So there is no vacuum product being sold on Amazon. Oh, wait, there needs to be. We had access inventory. There was a problem. Then people started hopping to the same listings and we started competing on the buy box. Wait a minute, why are we just reselling someone's product? We're not building value. There's no exit strategy there. Let's go private label. So each one of these are stepping stones in the process, digging through that discovery of that pain and helping myself flourish or helping my family flourish or helping others flourish in the process. Interesting. So you have the stub toe. So if I were an Amazon seller and I was asking myself questions to identify which pieces of knowledge I might have that could become a micro SaaS or could become an ebook or could become a course or could become those different things. What, what sorts of questions should I start asking myself to identify my stub toes? Well, you have to experience the problem. So it's experiential. And so you first start with, okay, well, I guess I'll just share with you by experience. So after I sold Stubana in 21, I went back to work on my e-commerce business. And this business was spiraling. It was on the death spiral. And I needed to turn turn it around. And turning around an Amazon company is very hard. So the first thing I started with was the people. And then I started with our processes. And then I started asking questions like, hmm, we just fired our ads manager and we just rebuilt our ads team. Okay. And the formula of A costs is what you spend divided by your revenue. So we're focusing on the numerator, but not focusing on the denominator. Revenue mm. equals price times units. Why are we not changing price? Like, and why doesn't price change? And why is price static? So I started digging into these questions of why. Why does Expedia change their pricing every day, all the time? And why does Uber Surge pricing change their pricing? But why don't Amazon brands change price? It's a fast mm. marketplace. It's like a commodity, like stock prices change that are commodities. Why don't product prices change? So I started digging in and I'm like, wait, can, can price, when was the last time we changed our price? Hmm. A year ago, two years ago, we're running a lot of deals, but we don't know if we're profitable on those deals. We just run those deals because Amazon gives us those deals. So I started peeling back the layers of this onion to really un to uncover some implicit contracts perhaps that weren't true, like in narratives that don't make sense. Like people say, don't change price on Amazon. Well, who came up with that? And is that actually a true statement? And that's how we evolved into prophecy. And really pricing is a huge lever to pull that nobody's pulling to maximize profits to the bottom line. Interesting. So, I mean, if I'm asking myself and I'm a seller and I'm trying to pick some of this apart, I need to be asking myself, what are my felt need problems that may be based in false implicit contracts, right? Like what, what are the, what are the things that I'm looking at underneath the core of why I'm doing things that might actually be incorrect? And if I really dig into the why I might be able to find a game changing opportunity, not only for me, but for other sellers that I can teach more about it. A hundred percent. Interesting. So definitely, you know, what am I currently experiencing? And I, and I like your, what you said about, you know, Pay attention to things that everybody seems to think are just part of the game where you can't seem to find a source that that lines up. So what are pains that you have in your business? And then identify the, the sources of those pain and maybe look at something you're like, wow, I don't know if that's a source because everybody knows you just don't change your price on Amazon. And then we, wait, hold on. That's an assumption. So identify those assumptions, dig into the why 
And underneath that, you may just find the nugget you've been looking for in terms of a, yeah. a process change or a product. I would, yes, I would say that first of all, like a lot of times in life, just in general, we live mm -hmm. life by default, right? Mm -hmm. The default path. Ooh. And people don't ask these questions about why they're during, doing certain things. Maybe their expectations they have of themselves or expectations others have of them, or just Amazon mantras that people have just come to expect without questioning. So a lot of people don't question the default. And so I think there's a lot of money to be had in those fringes of questioning the default. Now, when you do question, you have to be non-consensus, right? So you have to be going against the grain mm -hmm. in your assumption, mm -hmm. and you have to be right. Mm -hmm. So it's it's multi-pronged. <laughs> um, oh, minor detail. You have to be right about that non-consensus? Yeah. So, yeah, okay. And so then a lot of this process, I think, starts by exploration first. So for me, I'm like exploring how to turn around this company. I'm trying everything from skew rationalization, looking at our inventory levels, setting up criteria around that, to changing our ads process, to changing how we actually produce products. I mean, we're overhauling the entire business, but you have to explore first. And then you can, once you mine that, then you can exploit it. Mm. And so that's the pricing side of things that I'm working on today, which is exploiting pricing opportunities where there's a discrepancy between the price and the value that's on Amazon. Beautiful. So I guess to to sum it all up, basically we're looking back at our opportunities for adventure, the problems, right? We're looking back at our opportunities for adventure or the problems in our business. And we're looking at, okay, how did I solve that? And maybe was there an alternate path that went against the consensus that could solve it better? So that's one way I think to, to identify slash, did I solve this in an unconventional way? So what problems or what opportunities for adventure did I solve in an unconventional way? And, and think back over the past five years, and as you consider what those might be, that's probably where you have a knowledge sharing opportunity. And when you have a knowledge sharing opportunity, it could be a process sharing opportunity, which could be a SaaS opportunity. So tell me, how did you identify that this discrepancy in the thought process around product was actually a SaaS product? Like, how did you, where were you like, yeah. oh my goodness, this actually could be big? By the way, I think it's knowledge, process, and then system. And then SaaS? Which is a slight, yeah. No, well, system is the SaaS. Okay, the system right? is the SaaS. Okay, I like it. So, knowledge, process, system. Um, All right. Yeah. So your question is, is how did I know it could be a SaaS company? Yeah. How did you know that? So so you identified an opportunity for adventure. Totally. I love that. That's It's going to become part of me. You found a, a problem that became an opportunity for adventure or was an opportunity for adventure, you solved yeah. that problem, you identified an unconventional way to solve it, and you were doing this manually, you began to see patterns in how it was done. And then at some point it was like, whoa, that is the next SaaS product I'm building. Yeah, so a couple of things on that I wanna clarify and point out is that you never know where the adventure is gonna take you once you embark on it. So if you look at what we're building today, the first was, okay, I really got into AI. This is before ChatGPT. So, so December of 21, I raised $2.5 million on an idea. And the idea was, 
dynamic pricing is in all these other industries and it hasn't made it to amazon.com yet. Now amazon.com has their own dynamic pricer, but there's nothing for private label brands to algorithmically change pricing to maximize profit because there's so many signals, so many things that need to happen. That was the the initial, concept. let's just say the slip or the vessel, the concept of, of moving in this direction, right? But then you get on the ship and you're like, wait a minute, there's a whole lot more that's coming up. So I initially actually started this business to be a hands-off SaaS company. I'm just giving it to you straight. <laughs> and that is actually not the ship that I'm running today. The ship I'm running today is it's actually... So I, I knew that SaaS in general was moving from efficiency to effectiveness. Mm. All the efficiency stuff, like creating dashboards, you know, I'm not going to put these companies out in the, into the world, but there's like a lot of dashboard companies out there. There's a lot of companies, there's a lot of data to analyze. In fact, there's too much data to analyze. Now you have to take that data and, and shake what your mama gave you and actually use that data to your advantage. Mm -hmm. No SaaS companies don't do that. They just throw everything at a wall to see what sticks. And then you have to go interpret the data yourself. Mm. So to me, the future of Amazon SaaS in general was, does the software make me more effective? Because efficiency has already been done. Automated bidding strategies, these are all automation tools, but it's garbage in, garbage out. If you put garbage in, you're going to get garbage out. You put a garbage mm. in ACOS mm. target, you get a garbage out spend and lack of profitability, et cetera. So I knew that it was going to move into this direction. I thought I was going to be able to do it hands off the wheel. And that's actually not what's happening. And what's happening really is a convergence or a, a, a migration, actually, I should say, mm -hmm. from true SaaS to SWAS. Mm. That's software with a service. Yeah. Yep. That's exactly what data automation became. And, and it actually went from more of a pure service business because we were just building Zapier integrations for other people to we built our own software. And then we now that's boutique integrations. That's what that's what data automation does. So very familiar with a SWAS. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. And it's hard to predict when you're first starting out the company, but there is a, a move because of this move to effectiveness of this sort of white glove concierge services that are really value add that couldn't be accomplished with just a software. Mm. In other words, we are a software and then we have a whole data science team that's the value add to share the results, to explain the results that they're seeing because like things are getting complicated. Interesting. So I, I love the what, what you said about the journey and kind of asking yourself where, where they go. When you consider this entire journey, you know, all the way down from, you know, the New York Stock Exchange covering Amazon, you know, all the way through the creation of Crucial and then Scubana and now Prophecy, as you consider that journey of monetizing and upscaling your knowledge, what would you say are some of the biggest roadblocks you faced, specifically in upscaling or identifying knowledge to monetize? I would say, well, let's just say you're onto something, right? Let's just say you're onto a product mm -hmm. and you, you know precisely what the product is and what it should accomplish. Now you have a whole bunch of customers that are asking you, I want this and I want this and I want this. And then you have your sales department has one perspective. Your customer success has a different perspective. Mm. Your engineering has a different perspective. So there's, there's a conflict of interest that are pulling you in different directions. And so how do you reconcile those things together into one cohesive story 
But it's not just about running as fast as you can. It's about running as fast as you can in the right direction. Mm. And if you make a if you mess up, it can have massive yeah catastrophic unintended results. consequences. So, where's the nugget there? What if I've got that problem or opportunity for adventure? What does my adventure look like? How do I make that a cohesive story to know where I'm supposed to go? Oof. Well, there's a lot of there's a big conversation here, but you can use well. Firstly, you first you have to know everyone on the team. Like for example, for prophecy, let's just use prophecy as an example. I think it's a great great question for prophecy. So, what is prophecy? I think everyone has their own vision of what prophecy mm. is. Mm. I think that you have to understand why does prophecy exist. Everyone's gonna have different answers to this question, and what does success look like? What's your metric of success? And uh, in two years, or you know, what does prophecy look like in two years? And what would pre- prevent us from achieving that? And, and and I mean, essentially, it's spending a lot of time talking to your team. But then once you've s- summarized that in ChatGPT, <laughs> that, <laughs> once you've summarized that and you've synthesized it, mm-hmm. you have an idea of like, what direction you should be running into. Interesting. So once, I was just gonna say one last thing is that ahead, once you have it. that direction, then I would actually score and stack rank it and prioritize it based mm. on this the rice example, rice criteria. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. Yeah. So essentially you'd assess the priorities based on the reach, based on the impact, based on effort and confidence level. But yeah, that's that's where I would start, right? Because like again, everyone's pulling you in many different directions. There's like what the customers want, there's what your teammates want, there's what you want, there's what your investors want. And you have to you have to sort of mesh it all together and make the right decision. If you make the wrong decision, it's a very important decision. If you make the wrong one, it can put you on a path that mm. you become a, a statistic. Interesting. So I love I mean, if we were to just sum that up into like breakdownable steps, it feels like when you're trying to consider the direction of a company or you're trying to consider it like, okay, maybe I should launch a knowledge product. It sounds like talk to your team, understand you know what, what's going on in here and maybe even use something like fathom.video to get all the transcripts of all those phone calls and then shove that into ChatGBT and, and start having a conversation with ChatGBT about, okay, I've had all these conversations. What, what common threads or patterns do you see? How can I uh, synthesize this knowledge? What what other questions should I be asking that I didn't ask? Or is there a question that I asked one of my teammates that I didn't ask all the others? And just start to really massage out and understand what's going on and then make a decision based on that analysis using frameworks like Rice to really get a better idea of you know what's this going to look like in the future. Yep. Love mm-hmm. it. Any other major roadblocks that you saw as you, you know, wanted to upscale your knowledge and you were like, oh yeah, that was tough. When you say upscaling knowledge, can you just break that down for me? Yeah, absolutely. So as you, and in my opinion, you upscaled your knowledge and upscaled your revenue potential and upscaled all of that when you built Scubana. So when you, you know, you came across the nugget and said, okay, the world needs a new multi-channel software that handles this scenario. What do you think one of the biggest challenge? What were some of the biggest challenges to getting that to the point where it was actually able to be sold? Like when you think about oh, the I mean, journey. it's uh, 
people, process, and product. <laughs> people, it. process, and, and product. Yeah. Yeah, the three Ps. And there's also just a lot of maturing that has to happen in the process on top of it, right? So like if it's my first time being the CEO of a SaaS company, there's, I guess you would call it upselling, up-leveling my own skills mm -hmm. because there's the CEO that I want to be and there's the CEO that I am today. And mm -hmm. I have to actually make all these mistakes or learnings or you can call mm -hmm. them fail. Like when you fail, right? It's a first attempt Opportunities for adventure. Fail, yeah. Like <laughs> fail is a first attempt oh, yeah. in learning, right? So oh, yeah. we had to make these failed calls to actually, not not all the time it could be failed. You know, it depends on how big of a decision mm -hmm. it is to mm -hmm. make it a failure. But essentially, you know, we had to make mistakes along the process to find our way, but it's, it's around people and it's around the product and yeah. our processes. Sounds like Eric Reese, the lean startup, fail faster. Like, like if you're, if you're going to lean into that and I, I too, the CEO I was and the CEO I wanted to be, I mean, at data automation, we uh, had a huge people problem and I was the root of it. I didn't realize how much of my own personal, I lost my mom when I was 10 from breast cancer and that trauma created some innate inner things in me that I was just rampantly doing in my professional life. I was holding on to people when I needed to let them go. And I was letting go of people when I needed to hold on. And I mean, it, it just created a real team problem. And, and how did you, sorry, how did you, how did you identify, how did you have that self-awareness to then identify to make a change? The world fell apart. The great resignation happened at the end of COVID. And I went from a team of 18 to a team of like five. And it, it was the craziest moment where uh, a nurse practitioner came to my house and she gave me one of those surveys. You know, the surveys you take when it's like, you know, how are you feeling? It's like a depressive depression survey. Mm -hmm. And she said, oh, you, you scored severely depressed. And I said, what? And my wife was like, I've been telling you. <laughs> and so it dawned on me, I need, I need some help. I need to go look at myself a little bit more here. And, you know, fast forward two and a half years, I've been doing um, therapy every single week for two and a half years. I've been involved in some group therapy retreat kind of things like a experiential retreats. And I'm a totally different person than I was in that day and time. And I have people who work for me now and they're like, dude, you're the best boss I've ever had. And that was not true when I was there. And so for me, it was getting to a breaking point. It took me that far. I, ha I had to get to a total breaking point before I could look at myself and become and understand what was that the root of my opportunity for adventure that is now creating a whole new world of opportunity because I can do people a lot better than I used to be able to. Nice. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. No, it's, it's a journey. What, what you said about who am I now as the CEO and who do I want to be just resonated. I was like, that's exactly why I went on my journey to pick that apart. All right. So think back to the guy who's, he, he's, on Wall Street, he's seeing this Amazon marketplace thing. He's he's identifying some of that. I want you to imagine real quick that I hand you a special cell phone and you see, you know, that you actually have the phone number for Chad Rubin. And what age were you then? What 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 age were you when you were playing that game? 2023. 20, okay. So it says Chad Rubin 23, and it actually gives you like you can call him right now. If you were going to call him and give him some piece of advice that would help him maybe skip a couple of years or learn something more or grow faster, what would you call and tell him? What would you tell him right now? Honestly, I think I would just give him a big hug. I'd do him a big hug, let him know that he's on the path. You know, I took a huge risk 
And this is when startups and everything else just was not cool the way it is now, right? Mm. Like we're living in this mm. like new world where technology is taken over. Yeah. There was sort of a uh, stigma a, around entrepreneurs. Yeah. So it was a scary time. And so I would probably give, my, give him a hug and I would say, hey, hey, like, I'm here for you. You're doing something that's scary and keep going. Keep going. There's no shortcuts for me. Like everything, I, f- I don't have any regrets. Like I think that question goes back to regrets and mm. I don't necessarily like have any regrets or I wouldn't have like changed anything done anything differently. I think I did everything. I made the best micro decisions. I think life is is around micro decisions and mm. built around every decision has a consequence. Mm. And I made the best decisions I possibly can, knowing what I knew at the time mm. that brought me, you know, I've had a very successful career in the space. Yeah. And part of it was luck at the right time at the right place. And part of that was effort. And identifying that and making the right decisions around that. So if you you, you mentioned I, I knew I made the best decision I could with what I knew then. So if there were some piece of knowledge that you could impart that you think something like go read this book first or go maybe fail faster in this way, because you said fail faster is a, is one of those pieces. Any of those sort of pointers that you would give and not and not saying like, man, there's things I did wrong, but you know, if you could upscale his knowledge a little bit, what piece of knowledge might help him go through there faster? I'm going to quote. I'm going to quote Jordan Peterson again. He said something that resonated with me, which was, "Beware of unearned wisdom." Ooh. And a lot of these learnings had to happen experientially. You have to fall on the ground to not fall on the ground again. Right when you're walking as a kid, or when you're growing up in high school, right? You get your first F on a paper. Like those are, those are guidelines that push you in a specific direction. And in terms of books, like yeah, I can recommend great books. But again, it's one thing to walk to walk the path, and it's another one to to, to read the path. And I think walking, just walking the path, is where you're going to earn your stripes. I love it. So the word of advice you'd give to an e-commerce seller who's maybe considering starting a SaaS or considering breaking out and diversifying by creating a course or 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 picking apart and looking at, okay, I'm going to do a productized service or I'm going to do just a service. I'm going to start doing some of that on the side to diversify my revenue. It sounds like what you're telling them is stay the course, move forward, read some Jordan Peterson, <laughs> like yeah. dig into that and understand like this is a journey and you're going to fall, get up and keep running. Yeah. Like I think it's all about organically growing and coming across unexpected things like prophecy was unexpected pricing was unexpected uh, this is doing that is how new categories are born and there is no playbook for pricing there is no playbook for ai we are purely living through the the most luckiest period we've ever lived through in the mm-hmm. course of history and mm-hmm. i don't think people realize that mm-hmm. like the way that technology is changing and the way that Everything around us is changing. It's happening so rapidly, which is why we have so many precipitous, what I call black swan events. Like every single day, there's a new crisis that's happening. It's happening on a much more recurring basis. So the good things are happening more frequently and the bad. And it's because of the pace of life that we're living in today. Agreed. So as you live in that pace, I mean, what do you do to make sure that you aren't swept 
away in it slash left behind? What what do you do? I find myself going through LinkedIn and sometimes I'll, I'll scroll through LinkedIn and I'm just totally overwhelmed by the newness, like by the like I'll come across a post and be like, that changes everything. And I'll come across another post. And I'm like, that changes everything. I'm like, holy crap. If everything changes everything, how do I, you know, remain with my sense of self? And like, it, sometimes it depresses me to be like, man, I'm just not keeping up with all of this. What do you do to, do you feel similarly? Have you, have you felt that? And and what do you do to come back? hundred percent, hundred percent. Like right now I'm in it so much that I'm like, Hey, I need to, I need to outgrow myself again. You're constantly reinventing yourself. You're constantly growing into who the person you're you want to become, who you're mm-hmm. idealizing in your mm-hmm. brain. Mm-hmm. And I'm at a point in my life where I'm like, hey, my calendar is not looking good. Right. Like mm-hmm. I am stuck. I'm stuck and I'm zeroed in. And I need to take a step back to take two steps forward. I need to like rethink about my life and think about what brings me joy. What are the things that I'm sucked into that are not bringing me joy and Mm. either say no to those things or outsource those things depending on what they are. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, like, I think I am very, very, very hard on myself, right? Even with all the success and yeah, even just, just, I've never been one that's been content with the status quo. So I think something that people may not, may not understand about you because they maybe haven't followed you as much. You told me, and I remember jumping on the phone with you after you sold Skupana, and you said, "Well, technically, I really never have to work again. Like, I, I really do not. I don't need to go dig in on that." And so, for you, there's a step beyond just, you know, this kind of stinks right now. Like, there's pieces of this job that I've created for myself that aren't a, a business that I own. It's a job I own. Like, there are pieces of it that you've got to you know, automate, delegate, or eliminate to go back to our old podcast, right? But as you pick apart and look at that, I want people to recognize that as you say these things, like you really could be like, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm just going to float. I'm just, I don't, I don't need to dig into this. And so I think when you look at it from that perspective, all of a sudden the idea of automate, delegate, eliminate becomes so much more potent because for a lot of people, the reason they continue to go to McDonald's and flip those burgers or the reason they put up with that really crappy e-commerce category that they just can't stand, but it's continuing to pay the bills, kind of. The reason they put up with all that is because they're trying to pay a mortgage. You're you're putting up with it because you're not satisfied with the status quo. And that's kind of where you put yourself. And so now you're looking to shift and change. Yeah. You know, you're you're touching on some stuff that's coming at an interesting time. So if I had a life-changing outcome, the question I ask myself is, well, like, why didn't my life change that much? Mm. Right? I'm still the same. Yes, I've grown a lot. I've did a lot of like inner work during the time of the sale versus leading up to prophecy. And yet I'm surfing back in the same wave again. <laughs> right. And that brings up a lot of stuff for me, you know, and not to mention that like the Amazon e-commerce space right now is really in a hard spot. We're going through what they call the e-commerce winter. So it's it's trying to balance between like my needs, my family's needs, like my mm-hmm. son. Like I want to make sure I don't make those trade-offs and not spend time with my son. Yeah. I didn't have that growing up. Spend time with my wife. And so I'm, I'm constantly like pulling back, being like, okay, what is enough here? Am I enough? Should I actually 
stop working at this specific time, like working on my count, like designing my calendar and my lifestyle so that I actually don't have to make trade-offs that I don't want to make. hundred percent. So when you go about prioritizing and designing that calendar, I love that word that like, like I'm going to design my calendar. I'm going to design it to be, you know, where I go. And I think about like Dan Martell, buy back your time, right? Like, like fantastic book, that idea of picking apart and looking at at where that is. And, and, And it's funny because he talks about, he uses Oprah Winfrey a lot in his description and like, here's what her day looks like. And he, he describes her day and I'm like, dude, I want that day. Like, it, you know, nice, nice glass of wine, you know, sitting in a hot tub, like, like, you know, talking to her CEOs, like just interesting, interesting perspective. Right. So designing your calendar, what would you say would be some of the rules you use to better design your calendar? So I'm a parent, and I think that's going to be different for people that are listening to this podcast that have no kids or their kids are in a different stage, right? My son is four years old. And first of all, like understanding what's important to you in life. Number mm-hmm. one, I think is, is is extremely important. I think having a vision board. So not only a vision board, but like a vision, a vision of where you want to be in 10 years. And then backing into what needs to happen to get to that 10-year vision. So I think that's very important. I've spent a lot of time working on that. And so for me specifically, this is my first time actually building a company with a child in the picture. Mm. And I can't make the trade-offs I used to make when I was in my 20s building because A, I didn't have a son and B, I had a lot more in me, right? There's a, there's a lot more energy. There's a more energized chat. It could have been a less refined chat, mm. uh, but there was a lot more energy, right? I can work till 2 a.m., 3 a.m. and I can't do that anymore. I need my I need my seven hours of sleep. Uh, and also there's a different mindset, right? Which is scarcity versus abundance mindset, which is another rabbit hole we can get into. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's playing the nines and the fives. So from 5 a.m. to 9 a.m. is me time. 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. is work time. Doesn't mm-hmm. have to be like exactly mm-hmm. five o'clock, but and then from five to nine is kid time, nine to five is sleep time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you have to I guess what I'm sharing that as an example is like you have to really live and die by the calendar. Intentional. You have to be intentional about the time you spend in places instead of just willy-nilly spending it wherever. It's your currency. Mm-hmm. It, it I mean, you look at like buy back your time, he literally describes it as a currency. Right? Like you have a currency yep. to spend and and one currency is dollars, the other currency is literally time. And where are you going to spend those precious moments and put them in play? I I love that. Okay. So shifting gears here, we're going to give you 60 seconds. You just stepped into an elevator with an Amazon seller and, you know, elevators going up, you got 60 seconds. Why should they be connecting with prophecy with Chad Rubin right now? And then right after you do that, you know, short elevator discussion, I want you to share any tips, tricks, hacks, or books that you feel like have just made a, a massive impact for you over the past couple of years? All in 60 seconds or the, is the 60 seconds the elevator pitch? And the 60 then... seconds is the elevator pitch. And then we're going to make sure people stick around till after that because that's when your tips, okay. tricks, hacks, or books are. Boom. So are you timing Boom. me? Yep, I am. I have I have my, my timer out. Ready, set, go. So are you struggling with profit right now? Are you feeling deterioration in profit? Are you feeling your P&L being attacked on every level in your company i mean yeah like i i'll tell you what e-commerce winter that's all i'm gonna say 
<laughs> yeah. So one of the things I'm finding, just like Uber has something called Uber surge pricing, is that you can be changing your price intentionally to maximize profit without hurting your BSR. Nobody is doing it today. And it's all AI driven. So AI is faster than us, cheaper than us. It works as they should, and it makes a lot less mistakes. So mm. all I got to say is like, if you're not changing your price today, you should be thinking about your price changes because it's actually the quickest lever that you can pull to maximize the bottom line in your business. That's prophecy. I love it. Nice. I, I yeah. think that was only 45 seconds, my friend. All right. So now tips, tricks, hacks, or books. And while you think about that for just a second, I'm going to share one that you have. Have you read The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks? No. So you mentioned, why am I surfing on the same wave as I was before when, I mean, I, I don't, if I've had this life-changing event, you may want to look into it. The Big Leap, the entire book is about a glass ceiling that we create for ourselves. And we think, there's just no way that it could possibly get any better than this. And he, I have yet to finish the book. I'm still a, a, a quarter of the way through it. Um, maybe not even that. But when you said that, I was like, oh my gosh, that is that book. Like that is that glass ceiling that we put on for ourselves. So that's yeah. what I'm going to throw out for you and for listeners. I just um, wanted to say something about that. the glass ceiling. I think it's very important. So I just recently had an experience where I got to hang out with my first billionaire. Mm. So that's the letter B and mm -hmm. being around that specifically and going to his house really opened up. I was like, wait a minute, am I thinking small, right? Am I actually like Elon Musk thinks big and we all think of Elon Musk as like a, this character, but there are many other Elon Musk that are out there that are billionaires mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. And so it just had me prompt myself and ask myself, Hey, am I, is there more that I could be doing? Mm. Could my impact be greater? And uh, I'm just going to like leave that there specifically. So I think like having a book is helpful or surrounding yourself by somebody who's mm -hmm. also thinking big mm -hmm. is really a beneficial experience to have. I love it. So tips, tricks, books, or hacks. So what that sounds like that's a hack. <laughs> Surround yourself with people who are in a, in a situation that's a, beyond where you are so that you can ex they can help you expand your thinking just by being there right their their sure presence should help you look at that that's a good hack and yeah like maybe hang out with who you want to be like where you want to be who you want to become like th that old adage of you you are who you surround yourself by I like I think it. is important uh in terms of books there's a lot of great books that I've read I guess Atomic Habits, I think, is a great one. I'm sure you probably have read that already. Yep, it's a good one. Uh, Naval Ravikant, he's like a business philosopher. It's called mm. Navalmanac. It's probably one of the better business books that I've read. I love it. Interesting. Amazing. You know, I just read a great book, but I can't remember. Uh, can't I think podcast. I can't. I think podcasts. I like to listen to a lot of podcasts. Like I just listened to a podcast by someone who nobody knows who this guy is. He also happens to be a billionaire. He created the ad clicks or the first Google AdWords, uh, which he was bought by Google. Interesting. But his name is Kevin Ryan and is on My First Million. And he, ta he talks about how he essentially is, he steps away as a CEO and he's a coach of all the businesses that are, that are working on, that are working. So he finds the right people. Mm. And it was just like a really great podcast to listen to. Uh, my first million that is a great if you haven't those guys find really interesting guests totally 
Another one was uh, Tim Ferriss with Moshari. He's also a coach, and he has the Moshari method. Interesting. Moshari method. His name is Matt Moshari. And so he had a great, again, I'm just like constantly trying to just find nuggets of information because like that brings me a lot of delight. It brings me a lot of joy when I hear something that resonates and it really has the ability to transform myself. I get lit up. I get excited. I get uh, pumped. And I need more of that in my life because if you're just in the business and you're constantly working on it, there's a lot more to life than just working on a business and growing something, it's always great to get outside perspective and insights. Beautiful. I just looked up Moshari Method and Sam Altman uses <laughs> Moshari yeah. Method. So just if you're if you're wondering like what kind of people are are rubbing shoulders there with some of this these hacks. Okay. Chad, thank you so much for being here. How can people get in touch? Uh if you are interested in prophecy, of course check out prophecy, which is P-R-O-F-A-S-E-E. Prophecy. Uh you can Contact me directly, chat at prophecy.com. Same spelling, just chat at prophecy.com. You can find me on LinkedIn, Twitter. I'm always trying to post interesting, thought-provoking content that hopefully can also help you think differently about your business and transform. Beautiful. Thanks, Chad, for being here. Thank you for having me. Thanks for the, the, the awesome conversation.